1: Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar,
2: and I'm Tom Kinesic, and today we're buzzing into episode 111, three ones in a row, um, and uh, we're doing this different. Yes, yeah, this, yeah this is the uh, the furthest distance we've ever been apart um, <laughs> while podcasting.
1: I'm, I'm this, glad you had it while podcasting.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, most uh, most episodes, Fran and I are literally maybe eight feet apart. Yeah. Um, there was a couple episodes, it was at least one, right after my son was born where I did it at my house and Wait. you were at the nursery. So we were maybe 500 yards apart. Uh, but right now I'm like 275 miles away. I'm yeah. up in the Adirondacks in New York and you're back in Columbus in New Jersey. So
1: Yeah, we. I was thinking, I know we did one while you were on Remote with Sourland Conservancy and Carolyn Clauba, and yep. I don't know if it was right before your son was born. I think it was right before because we had one already yeah. recorded for when you were out, <laughs> or when it was after. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so it's it's been a while. It's 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 throwing me off a little bit. It's weird being in this
2: room by yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we have an episode that's chock full of all kinds of native plant and uh, and and nature knowledge. So. But before we get into that, let's do a little bit of follow-up, and uh, awesome. why don't we lead off with Fran's big blunder? <laughs> <laughs> so I, for my listener
1: shout-out uh, last episode of The Buzz, I I uh, said thank you to our customer Ellie, who actually is Eli, um, and it's actually spelled traditionally like Eli. I don't know why I just assumed it was Ellie, but Eli was uh, – was very kind in in explaining to me. Uh, he was he was very thankful that I uh, gave him the shout out. And then um, you know for for something that happens to me all the time, like all the time, mm-hmm. I I was really embarrassed. I now, was. Had
2: you had you talked to Eli on the phone? I before? had
1: never talked to Eli before. But mm-hmm. like it's spelled just like Eli Manning, it's like or, Eli, yeah, or it's, Eli Whitney. You know, it's it's spelled just like Eli. I mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. It's it's yeah, kind of it, like it how happens. when when you when you uh, read reviews, like we mm-hmm. assume oh, we assume, yeah, yeah. We, assume, yeah. Uh, we don't know. We're just assuming. I'm wondering <laughs> how often, but I, I, Eli, I am so sorry. I I I know you were so gracious about it, and I I know how that feels. And because Fran, it happens yeah, and to me Fran all the time. is not
2: gracious about it when it happens to him. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I just wanted to follow up on that, and I thought it would be a good idea to follow up on the contest, and I know this is poor planning on my behalf, but I don't remember
2: the date that we gave for the contest. I want to say out. it was July 17th. Um, I'm going to no, look at it to make said, sure that's a Friday. No,
1: I thought we said August. We were giving it a
2: month. Wouldn't that be a month from? Last, oh, July. Uh, yes, it is. It's not July. currently <laughs> July.
1: You're right. Yes. <laughs> Ju-
2: now, July 17th is a, a Sunday. Maybe it was July 15th.
1: I think it was July 15th or right okay. around there because I know that is um right around my wedding date. So mm-hmm. it would be. I think maybe we gave it an extra week because I'm not here the week after that. So I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. So it's that that week coming back after that. So it's somewhere around there, like at the end of. The end of July. We'll have to go yeah. back and listen to it and figure it out. But and it
2: was also so it would be a buzz episode, and uh, yes, we'll, we'll 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 do better planning on that and uh, and find out what that but, was but, and what they –
1: But <laughs> here's here's the good news: our lack of planning is allowing you to have more time to enter, and uh, by giving us a five star review, and the winner will get a flat of fifty two inch plugs, all of which are different plugs. You're going to receive fifty different plants from us. Um, and we'll try to match it up to the part of the country that you're from to make sure you're getting things that are native to your area and relevant. If we have to go with uh, less or more of, of each item instead of 50 different plants, and if, if you get 30 because we don't have as many plants relevant to your items. But I'm going to handpick the, the selections myself, and uh, we'll mail it. You just have to give us a five-star review, and, and people have been doing that since we made that with, announcement. With a
2: little write-up because if you just give us five stars and you we don't do a little write-up – we have no clue of knowing who you are. It's hard enough when you just have a username, and it's something like six L's and seven M's and a couple of numbers, we, which uh, is yeah. the username of someone who, who wrote one of our last reviews. But so. we we have had
1: two contests now where we picked winners, and those users didn't listen back mm-hmm. and, and get their prize, and we ended up giving the prizes to, to other recipients. Yeah. So uh, make sure if you do enter you want to make sure you're listening to the buzz around that time so you can find out if you want or not cuz we have no other way of getting in touch with you other than your username. Uh, we have to give you information for you to contact us. So so don't don't just say you're that person either. <laughs> yeah.
2: We'll know. Least, we'll know. Yeah, we'll we know. can judge your guilty conscience. We'll know. So. We'll know. <laughs> but uh but yeah, why don't we um why don't we get in today's episode? It's going to be a little bit um, other than our distance. Uh, I'm using two computers at the same time so hopefully that doesn't stumble me up too much but we'll we'll make it work and um where why don't we start where we always start and that's with that's hot
1: that was how about that's loud that was i got to turn that down a little <laughs> bit <laughs> all right so uh last week's articles uh we did have uh, oh that that would be this or that step, that yeah, would be this or plan. that all right would you like to go first or would you like me to go first um, I'll go first because you don't know what mine is. I don't. And,
2: uh, I don't. So I'm, I would like to know what it is. So let me, uh, get my iNaturalist up here because like I said, I'm up in the Adirondacks and, um, I just took a little, I'm like, oh, what's interesting here is, you no, know, it's obviously a little bit colder, but stuff that was blooming a month ago, uh, or at least two weeks ago back home is just blooming here now. So I was was walking around our property up here. Oh, there's Baptisia blooming. Oh, nice. Uh, That's Baptisia um, australis. There's uh, Aquilegia canadensis, which is blooming here. Uh, Pensamint rursutis is blooming here. Um, Corioptis lanceolata, which is blooming at home too, but it's starting to wrap up. But uh, yeah, some stuff that was when I was back in new jersey like two weeks ago well i noticed that was just starting to finish up blooming but it's in like it's full full bloom right now up in new york so i said well you know what why don't i choose something up here um and i found something really cool awesome that uh i don't i can't tell if it it's blooming or not but it's an ancient plant and that is uh, rough horsetail and uh do you know about what rough I, horsetail is Fran? i do not i'm excited to learn about this so it's um i think it's like a uh prehistoric plant well i guess a lot of plants are probably prehistoric but this is like a dinosaur age ish plant okay um and uh the ri- little writing off uh i naturalist and the botanical name for it is equistum high um well, I'm i think it's pronouncing e- that wrong e- Equisetum. Equisetum. that makes That's a lot a, more sense that sounds a lot more okay. latin so
1: i do um, i do know it just not by the common name okay and what, what common name do you know just horse, just horsetail. What'd okay. you say? Rough horsetail. Rough horsetail. So I just I assumed mean, maybe yeah.
2: it was a, a variety that I didn't. Know. Yeah, and uh, it's commonly known as rough horsetail, scouring rush, uh, scouring rush horsetail, and uh, also snake grass. It's a perennial herb in the fern division, and uh, it's a native plant throughout uh, the whole kingdom, which is found in North America, Europe, and northern Asia. And uh, to describe this plant, it kind of looks. It kind of looks like bamboo in a way, but really short. So the ones we have right outside, it's actually right outside our house up here, are maybe two feet tall. And there's just little little breaks every couple inches um, that gives it that bamboo-esque look. And um, it's just a really, really cool plant. And what I noticed today is there's these little black flower-ish looking things on top that kind of like come to like an as, almost asparagus-like yes. uh, like yes. tip. And um, so I don't know if that's typical all year or if it's just right now, but it, uh, it looked cool to me, so I wanted to talk about it. That's awesome, and, yeah. and I may be
1: wrong, but remember the article I did about the the grumpy gardener. I yeah. think that was one of the plants he complained about. Um, yeah, because where where it is at, I've been where you're at, where it's at, mm-hmm. it's it's contained, and I think it can be in like premier conditions. It'll get a little out of control.
0: Oh, I
2: could believe it. Because I when I just saw it now, it's actually coming up in the driveway wow. um, in all this through all this gravel. So I could see how it could uh, spread quite a bit. But yeah. it's a cool plant. It's,
1: it's a very cool plant. And it does have a, a long storied history, which is very cool. So mm-hmm.
2: no, that's a very
1: awesome choice. Um, all right. Well, yeah, what was your, your choice this week? So I went with uh, – Agatha and I uh, were, were doing a hike through uh, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve the other day, which I like because it's – We're in coastal plain where we live, and I love going to Piedmont and just getting a different landscape than what we're accustomed to. So one of the things that stood out for me was Eucara Americana, uh, which is American alum root. Um, I actually have cultivar palace purple in my property, which is the the, the purple leaf. Like typically it's green, but it is a great foliage ground cover, um, and there are many cultivars. There's, There's a lot of strains, Dale strain. That was North Creek Nursery. Uh, but I, I took the description from wildflower.org, which is American Alumroots, leafless, hairy, sticky flower stalks rise 18 to 36 inches and surrounds its upper third with loosely grouped, minute, greenish, cup-shaped flowers, a somewhat hairy stalk bearing yellowish-green bell-shaped drooping flowers and loose, slender branching clusters, uh, usually four to five flowers on each branch, a clump of attractive basal leaves spring from the underground stem, the leaves are fuzzy, oval-lobed, and somewhat evergreen. Uh, several similar variety, or species occur in the east, many of which are difficult to distinguish from one another. The genus name honors the 18th-century German physician and botanist Johann von Eucher, uh, enjoys part shade to shade, deep green leaf turning purple, uh, red and yellow in the fall, blooms March through August from Ontario to Georgia, west to Oklahoma, and up to Michigan. So... Um, it's just mine and my garden are just shooting the flower stalks now and just getting multiple flower stalks. But it's a great foliage plant if you need it low and you have a shady spot just to mm-hmm. kind of be that plant mulch for you. Uh, uh, I love it. it. It's it's always – it's been a favorite of mine for a very long time. But it's mm-hmm. it's something we almost never talk about. It's not something we grow. Yeah. It's not something we have native here. Uh, but it's it's nice when you see it and you're like, oh, yeah, I, f- I forgot about that. You know, so mm-hmm. just wanted to bring attention to that because it's a, it's a great plant with a lot of merit. It's a very common landscape plant as a cultivar, um, mm-hmm. you know, just because of the, the purple foliage you can get for, for different foliage. But it, it
2: masses very nicely, and uh, I think it's a great choice. Yeah, no, I, I think it was a great choice too. Of course you awesome. thought it was a great choice. Yeah, you I have understand. to. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but… uh. So who's ready for this week's botany-based current events? And, of course, we make it a competition. Let's move along to this or that.
0: that.
2: So uh,
1: last week's – or last buzz, I did an article on mitigating contaminated water with native plants in Australia. And you had an article, Margaret Roach article, Trillium as the native plant poster child, both fantastic articles. Mm -hmm. But the listeners did get to vote, and the results are in and i come away with a 10 to 4 victory my first two week uh win streak in probably wow like 8 months 9 months i think mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a while but uh thank you for for voting for both both fantastic articles uh thank you for voting for me so i i have the leg up i'm going to go first because i don't know what tom tom's article is he yeah. he's keeping it yeah. secret from me
2: so and, um and Fran, before we get too far into yes, this, yeah. I should ask a question cuz it's uh, being in separate rooms our normal protocols aren't haven't been there. yeah. But you you did hit record, right? I I did. I okay, did. Okay, cuz I d- I didn't. I know. I know. <laughs> well, we
1: don't need no one's going to see this video anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I did. I did hit record.
2: <laughs> yeah, t- well, we typically record both so that we have the audio and uh, video backup too. But uh just so we've had instances where there's been some issues with our main oh yeah audio so we have to go to the backup and plug out little pieces but We're, we um we are yeah.
1: good but i will you, say you this nail it. i have uh i keep forgetting to erase the memory card so mm. we have enough time but but barely yeah you know, we can't we can't do a three-hour podcast which we yeah, weren't yeah. planning on doing anyway <laughs> i hope not um so I'm going to choose to go first. Uh, the name okay. of my article is Native Plant Gardens Attract Hummingbirds in Mexico Cities. Um, and this was on Bloomberg.com and the article's written by Max de Haldivang. Uh I hope I said that correctly. Um, it's about a page and a half, so I'm just going to try to read the whole thing. Just give me mm-hmm. a cut sign if, if you feel like it's going on too yeah. long. So um, with its temperate climate and rich diversity in wildflowers, Mexico is a haven for hummingbirds. Uh, it boasts 58 species including all 19 types seen in the US and Canada. The tiny birds proved elusive, however, when Rocio Meneses tried to catalog each species starting in 2013 while co-writing a book called Hummingbirds of Mexico. Manessis, Manessis uh, found that the best way to glimpse their fitting, flitting wings was to wait uh, by the native plants whose nectar they love to drink. We became searchers of flowers rather than hummingbirds, she says. Now Menensis travels at least twice a month to remote parts of central and northwestern Mexico to find flowers to reproduce for her company, Paricio Calibri, Hummingbirds of Paradise, which sells plants to gardeners and corporate clients. Uh, The business is part of a movement aimed at stemming Uh, the birds' population declined by creating gardens to feed them in Mexican cities. Uh, battered by climate change, deforestation, and underground trade selling dissected hummingbirds as love charms. Did you know about that? Like, no, I have never heard of that. I, I, it must be pretty big if they're mentioning it. So, um, I haven't seen that on in my underground market at least. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 13 of Mexico's species are considered at risk of extinction. About 60% of Mexican species are imperiled by climate change as many are losing habitat to relentless urbanization, according to research by Maria del Coro Arizmendi, a professor uh, and ornithologist at the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México. She runs – a hummingbird observation center and started a city garden project to provide sanctuaries for the birds in 2014. This country is becoming urban and it seems there's no way back, she says. We need an alternative so that hummingbirds can be conserved in the cities we live in. It was she who first encouraged Menensis at the time, her master's student, to turn to flower growing hobby into a business. When the urban gardening effort was getting going, about 90% of the plants sold in Mexico City were non-native. Manessas turned her hobby into a business that's repopulating Mexico City and other cities with about 145 native plant species. Uh, since launching in 2016, Manessas has populated the capital and cities in five other states with about 145 plant species, including Buchanan sage, blue passion flowers, and yellow ole- uh, oleander. Almost 500 wildflower gardens for hummingbirds have been registered across the country on her website, and Manessas works with 29 corporate clients, including L'Oreal. Uh, plus seven schools the businesses have um let's see have 10 employees and manessa's has helped six other nurseries start growing native plants beyond helping hummingbirds they sell plants that attract such pollinators as bees butterflies and bats she and her domestic partner Sergio ramirez martinez use their savings to start the business and have no outside investment manessa's chooses to only uh, to use only the most basic equipment and to work with all without electricity at the nursery to go grow her wallflowers reproducing the plants has been a giant undertaking around 90 of the species uh cells um that she sells weren't commercially available before uh her company started she says uh scientists knew little more than the names of many of them so her and her team had to seek them out in the wild visiting half a dozen states in one trip to durango in the northwest They found a previously unknown hybrid of two types of salvia that scientists at uh, UNAM are studying and may endow with its own name. Uh, Locating the flowers is just the first step. It takes years of observation to work out how to make them reproduce and thrive. Personal danger hasn't stopped her from visiting the states as Guerrero, where four environmental activists were killed last year. It's worth the risk to help protect the short-crested coquette. that species, a hummingbird, has a distinctive fluffy orange crown and green head and exists only in a 50-square-kilometer region of Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Hummingbirds are important, and if we don't conserve them, it's very likely they could disappear in the next 20 to 30 years. It's not just the future of birds that's at stake. Um, hummingbirds are key pollinators for about a 1,000 Mexican plant species, dipping their long, delicate beaks far into the flowers as they lap up nectar and pass their pollen on to other plants, enabling them to reproduce Lavenders and salvias won't survive if we take hummingbirds away. There's little good data on Mexican hummingbird population. Scientists only uh, recently started monitoring them, and their legs are too spindly to hold transmitter tracking devices. That makes it difficult to put hard numbers on the progress and efforts to bolster their populations. But these are victories to celebrate with the help of bird sightings recorded by enthused customers – uh, Paricio Calibri has already made scientific discoveries about hummingbird migration patterns, uh, Manessa said. And Mexico City had particular success using Mexican bush sage to restore a park around the National Canal in the Churubusco neighborhood. Um, there are mountains of hummingbirds uh, there now. So uh, I think that's a great story because we we really – Always talk about our pollinators and like the the plight of the monarch and the migration Mm -hmm. and how numbers are and what we do. There's a lot of other species. Like there's always something that we're not overlooking, (laughs) but everything we're we're kind of realizing everything's a danger. Um and native plants is the one solution and how resilient nature can be. So and it takes more than just what we do in our countries and our backyards. Other countries have to do the same. It's a it's a worldwide ecosystem and we depend on it. So It was just nice to see that that work is being noticed that the decline in, in hummingbirds and how important they are with how they are as, as birds. We know that they've co-evolved with certain plants because they're the only thing that can reach the nectar. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just wonderful to see that they're, they're finding native plants that weren't commercially known and trying to get them out there and, and rebuilding those populations. It's, it's no different than what we're doing here with, with, with monarchs and so many other pollinators, or, or rusty patch bees and things like that. So, it it's just great research, and it's nice to see it happening in other parts of the country, and them realizing it. it was interesting to, to hear that certain parts of Mexico were were all planted with non-native species rather than native mm-hmm. species. Um, so it's it's just wonderful to see that. And I know Tom, uh, you did work with one. Uh, Uh, with Audubon International, what seed as far as uh, golf courses in Mexico? Is Mm -hmm. that correct? Or at least down in that area? Was
2: Yeah, I don't know whatever happened with it. Um, Because I remember there was one golf course in that whole program that was in Mexico. And uh, there's just not a lot of native seed producers that we could find. Um, And we're we're really limited to the internet. It's not like we were going to get a a phone book from – from Mexico and stroll yeah. through it or anything like that or so it's just really hard to find uh native seed producers. i don't even know if there are any or, or many and yeah. uh yeah so we didn't really have success um because shipping plants too but well uh, shipping a lot of things internationally but specifically agricultural products such as seed your plants uh can be very very complicated it's very so difficult. Was, and and very expensive especially when you're talking about oh it's $100 worth of seed, and it's going to cost an extra $500 to, to ship it there and get it inspected and all that. So yeah, yeah it, I don't know whatever happened with it. but
1: Yeah, but I know uh, at the time one of our employees was researching like certain milkweeds uh mm-hmm. things like that. And it was just very difficult. There was little known and uh, yeah. little resources. Mm-hmm. So if there's more resources doing this and someone actually doing the science and trying to figure it out, I'm all for it. So I just thought it was a great story. I always like to look beyond our borders sometimes at the Mm. great work that's and how it can be incorporated to what we do or how similar it is to what we do. So I just – it was a a feel-good story for me. I was happy about it.
2: Yeah, it's always cool to see what's going on internationally, and it's interesting that you chose something uh, that was international (laughs) because I did as well. Oh, what do you have um, this week? My article is – what is it titled? It is titled (laughs) How to Turn Your Garden into a Carbon Sink. Oh, but it's, uh, was published in uh, future and which was part of the British broadcasting company. Oh, okay. So, right. um, so a lot of the plants, I, I didn't include some of them because, uh, 99% of you are listening in the United States and they wouldn't be native, uh, native to your area. But, uh, but the concepts are very, very similar. And it's interesting seeing that this is happening in other parts of the world. So I'll get into reading some and then, uh, And then uh, I'll give a little bit of my thoughts on it as well. So the article starts, during World War II, the UK Ministry of Agriculture encouraged gardeners to dig for victory and grow their own vegetables to help feed the country. Allotments sprung up in private gardens and public parks, even the lawns outside the Tower of London were transformed into vegetable patches. Almost 100 years later, the Dig for Victory slogan has been repurposed by the UK's Royal Horticultural Society. The gardening charity aimed to mobilize the biggest gardening army since World War II to fight the biggest threat of the 21st century, climate change. The tools at their disposal? Planting trees, using rainwater instead of sprinklers, and making compost. Uh, If every one of the UK's 30 million gardeners planted one medium-sized tree and let it grow to maturity, they would store the same amount of carbon as produced by driving uh, 284 billion miles, um, 11 million times around the planet, Research by the RHS shows. If every car or gardener produced 190 kilograms of compost each, they would save the amount of carbon produced by healing uh, by heating half a million homes per year. Those numbers always sound insane to me. That, like, they almost yeah. sound fake. Um so and I I always like somewhat question their legitimacy, but I'm like, well, how the how the heck who am I to say? Yeah. <laughs> like, if they're real or
1: not. We but, always uh, take for granted all these numbers that if if someone takes the time to print them, that they're they're correct. I I don't know. It's it's staggering though. Uh, it really is staggering.
2: Yeah. The other one that getting uh, not to get too far off topic, away from the article, but the other one that extras in the article as well was that like a what a two stroke engine will produce as much um, emissions if ran for thirty minutes as like a, a Ford F one fifty would produce if you drove it from like New York to Edmonton or something like that. Yeah. I'm like uh, I don't know about that, but someone did math there, but. We've seen in other instances that uh, sometimes that math is wrong. Someone missed the decimal plates, as has happened with some of the, the, yeah. the other emissions things where people actually missed the decimal plates and it's become wide reported that some things are producing way more emissions than they are. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's. No, we're not calling anyone. Sounds crazy. Yeah. Um, and if it's true, that's even more reason for alarm. Yes. Uh, so as governments and companies race to slash their emissions, there's increasing interest in the ability of natural landscapes, such as forests, wetlands and mangroves to protect against the risks posed by the climate change. Horticulturalists say the humble garden can also serve as a powerful tool in the fight. Gardens are becoming shop windows for the wider environment, demonstrating the dangers of pests and threats of climate change and showing what can be done to tackle it. Says Simon Toomer curator of the living collections at Kew gardens in the UK. Uh, the ideal low carbon garden has a wildness to it is packed with plants and teeming with life the gardener in the sustainable haven is equally mindful nurturing life below the ground as she is of tending her flowers uh displays and shrubs she recycles every every glass uh every glass clipping fallen leaf and broken twig within the garden avoids toxic chemicals to boost plant growth relying instead on homemade compost and living mulch to create a thriving habitat so some of the techniques that they describe um, are things that we've talked about numerous times on the podcast, sometimes even from, uh, from articles just like this. One of the first things they talk about is wild lawns. Uh, in the past, everyone wanted a, a pristine lawn, but now there's a big movement in gardening for more natural landscapes, which is uh, really quite exciting, says Justin Moat, senior research uh, leader on the Kew Gardens Nature Unlock program, which explores nature-based solutions to climate change and food security. We need to put up with scruffy lawn says Moab. It could be Moat. It's Uh, (laughs) M-O-A-T. So it could be Moat, could be Moat. This may be wishful thinking as BBC future revealed recently, we appear addicted to manicured laws. And uh, there's another link to an article that talks about that. Um, Something else that you can do with your garden is trapping carbon. So, Uh, Moat says nature unlock program has highlighted the phenomenal power of soil has transformed our gardens and biodiverse havens that can help mitigate climate change. So much more is happening underground than above it. He says we need healthy soil for our food production and we need it to trap carbon, um, replenishing the world's soils. Where was I? Yeah. Replenishing the world's soils could help remove up to 5.5 billion tons of CO2 every year. Um, the equivalent to the annual greenhouse emissions of the U.S., the world's second largest polluter. So gardeners shouldn't press, uh, press the soil down or use uh, heavy equipment to compact it, um, especially when it's wet, because it'll become even more compacted then, and closing vital air pack pockets and preventing water from draining. So if left bare the exposed and exposed the elements, soil will degrade and its carbon stocks will deplete, covering the bare soil with plants such as clover um, or other mulches, um, all kinds of things that you can cover it will actually prevent CO2 from seeping in the atmosphere. Uh, there's a, a woman described in this that actually said uh, that mulching, and I've experienced this as well, mulching in the garden. Um, not, and that's not just bringing in like your black mulch and all that, but like using some kind of mulching, whether it's living mulch or uh, pine straw, um, a lot of green products will actually help rebuild that soil. And you'll have really, like, thick uh, organic soil, uh, and it'll just keep getting deeper and deeper over time. I actually do it in my vegetable garden where I bring in wood chips every year. And this is we talked about with Ray Archuleta. Yeah. That's what he said he did. You know, I actually. And I just kind of keep bringing in wood chips. I don't till anything. I just dig a little hole where I'm going to plant the plant, put it in, and just a year, now I'm in year two. But that first year of wood chips is really, really decomposed now and uh, and providing a lot of food to the plants. What we
1: kind of did with our gardens and, and our planters were we, in the fall, covered them all with, with food scraps, like mm-hmm. lettuce and onion peel and all and that. I recommend
2: that too, yeah. Um,
1: we filled them all with food scraps and then covered them with all fallen leaves and left mm-hmm. it like that for the winter. You know, you'd have an occasional animal go in there and, and get food scraps. For the most part, it wasn't. And then I, I kind of like hand- hand mixed it this spring with well like i took some a little layer of leave off and just kind of mixed the soil together mm-hmm. and and man what a difference this year it, it is a huge huge difference yeah.
2: with how everything's growing yeah now um there's two other things i mentioned in this article and then uh then i'll give some more of my thoughts too okay. this was probably my favorite one and that was a uh, plant with abundance And while some gardeners might desire a uniform look to their flower beds and lawns, growing a wide range of plants is beneficial if you're looking to transform your garden into a miniature carbon sink. And that's not just from a a species diversity perspective, but also a, a plant type and height diversity as well. Trees are going to be excellent carbon sinks, but underneath that tree, you can plant a shrub layer. You can plant like a, a varying levels of herbaceous plants as well. And now in the space of just that tree where the tree itself would have been a great carbon sink. Now you have all these other things that are just collecting carbon and and returning it to the soil. So thinking with more diversity and, uh, and height in mind can really, really help. So, um, and that was actually, the next thing was plant diversity has been shown to increase productivity and the amount of carbon stored in the soil increased, uh, plant diversity boost carbon sequestration by optimizing use of available space in the garden, both above ground and below ground says so gush. Uh, it's important to grow layer plants in your garden and grow crops with roots that will reach different depths so they can penetrate all parts of the soil and spread nutrients around. This facilitates maximum carbon drawdown. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's what we've been talking about a lot. Yeah. It's awesome to see that it's happening uh, abroad as well. Um, from the UK to Mexico to really all over the place, I know that they're doing more and more of this. So it's um, a lot of these concepts are things that we've talked about and you at home are doing already. But if you've been thinking about it and, and you wanted a little bit of a start, this is a great article to check out. And while the plants they talk about may not be applicable to where you live, uh, the concepts definitely are. You know, I isn't it funny how much
1: things have changed from when we started doing this podcast and not not saying these things didn't exist two years ago or two and a half years ago but the awareness is so much greater and I love the amount of articles that we can pull these not just from the US but all over the world demonstrating such routine not routine but like things that you can do on your level or any person's starting point things Mm -hmm. that you can do to make a difference that aren't like labor intensive or time consuming, but what a difference it makes in how you feel when you do it. There's such, just such a great awareness to it that I love the difference just every, every month you see a little bit more and it's, it's so Mm -hmm. encouraging. And at at some point we're going to be irrelevant. There's going to be so, (laughs) it's going to be common knowledge, Oh yeah, you know, and I'm okay with that. I applaud that if it gets to that point.
2: Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is just the the demand for is growing. Um, we see it just with our listenership grows every single episode. We yeah. are just increasing in, in listeners. But uh, the more and more articles that we see like this, especially in a publication like, uh, well, the New York Times, or in this case, BBC, those kind of papers, the Washington Post, you'll see it. They're going through editors and there's someone who has a final say says this gets published. Cause I think people want to read about it. This isn't going to get published because I don't think anyone wants to read about it. Well, if this is getting published, it means they think someone needs wants or people want to read about this. And at the end of the day, they're trying to sell subscriptions. Yeah. So if they need to have content, that's going to sell subscriptions and this is something that they obviously think is in demand. So that mm-hmm. just means there's more and more people who are demanding it. Now I saw
1: on, on, On Facebook, on on my, you know, obviously I'm friends with people that are uh, ecologically aware on Facebook, but friends from high school. um, I saw a meme starting to generate this past week where it's a picture of a lawn and it says, "Like, friend, hey, what? I wonder what happened to all the bees and hummingbirds." And then it's like their yard, (laughs) and it's it's just turf, you know, like and. And the, com- the positive comments and the amount of people liking those posts, and it's people that I would have never assumed would have that conversation. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking to more and more people that I've known that I – that never really had an interest in what I do <clears throat> now wanting to have these conversations. So it's just very interesting in, in those respects that we've gotten to that point, point. Um, mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with this podcast. It's just life and and, and – mm-hmm and the awareness of it all. And it's just, I don't know, I'm getting a
2: little emotional about it because it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, the one thing in this article that I didn't include, but it's in the article, they talk a lot about composting, but the one thing I I don't know if I disagree with it or not with composting, I'm afraid maybe you'll have a better opinion on it, was they're talking about when you're pruning plants, Mm -hmm. instead of trashing what you prune, just put it on the floor of the garden bed. Which I think is probably fine for many things, but I could see it as being a problem for other things as well. Well, I know the one the one plant particularly they talked about was with roses. And like, yeah, prune your rose and just throw it on the ground. Then I'm like, ah, I feel like roses are a kind of plant that's that is going to create disease. But, but, but you
1: know, and for maybe for us here, but if it was written overseas where there mm-hmm. there actually could be native roses to there, you know, mm-hmm. I look at it as we always talk about putting uh branch dead branches you know for the bacteria sure. other thing it is going to attract insects you just have to make sure it's insects you, you know you want to balance that population if they're attacking the dead wood rather than attacking mm-hmm. the living maybe that's giving them enough food to keep the rest of the garden healthy i don't disagree with it yeah. i don't know how much you want to leave but it's no different than branches falling in a forest bed
2: and yeah. leaving them to, well, I guess to decompose I'm, I'm thinking more of like fungal pathogens because it's not a forest bed because you don't have the whole not that some of our yeah. forests don't have the whole web as well yes but our gardens definitely don't um so i was thinking like okay well, i know roses can be susceptible to a lot of funguses you throw that on the ground now you're creating a spawning ground for a different fungal path and right next to which grown now
1: i think it's going to depend on what plants, the... i
2: don't think yeah it, does, it matters but yeah. some stuff i think it could be effective or it could hurt <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> i'm just laughing that you're not even here and the phone's ringing how how funny is that you you and you <laughs> what listen where tom is at is so remote and there's not always someone there what are how often does that phone ring
2: uh, more often than you'd think. Really? And I, I right. muted myself so people wouldn't have to listen to it. <laughs> but, uh, and it's all spam. It's uh, We have right. a landline up here. It's all, because we don't get self-service here either. So uh, thank God for Wi-Fi. We were able to communicate. And, <laughs> but um, yeah, because the, the landline is nothing but spam. Uh.
1: But these – I think these are two really good articles. I, I would be happy if either of these articles won, whether it's, or it's Tom or myself because I, I think they're – it's just a good time. I, I remember like early on struggling to find articles uh, that were relevant, and now it's – there's too many. Like there's a lot of great articles we've never gotten a chance to discuss that, yeah, that listeners have sent to us that were like, this is a great topic, <laughs> but so is this, and it's – Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting because – now we have like i have to make a choice each week where before it was like i was scrolling through facebook scrolling through linkedin saying someone had to post something cool now it's like okay i have seven articles to choose from and uh and some of them i haven't even gotten a chance to read yet because i only read three of them so
0: yeah
1: it's uh no two great articles so uh we will definitely post uh this up on the native plants healthy planet facebook group uh this weekend and uh, make sure you go and vote. Uh, the votes have been good, and I like that it starts. Uh... <laughs> I love that the conversations that it sparks in the Facebook group as well. So it's uh, make sure you go over there, make sure you vote for which one you love because. And of course, the choice is yours. How's that for a second? I haven't used it. Was that okay?
2: It was better.
0: All right, uh, yeah. Okay. It was yeah I try, I'm trying. Yeah. You
1: know, we can get rid of it. <laughs> I I can open a space and put something else in there, so we can make a uh, a uh, an intro for "Take It or Leave It." Maybe.
2: Yeah. So, well, I, I like the I like the the outro music. Yeah. I just don't like your lead into it.
1: Yeah. It's it, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not the music. It's it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. So. Um, I I do not have any complaints this week, but we mm-hmm. do have listener shoutouts.
2: Yeah.
1: Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out. Shout out. Uh, I'm gonna go first, Tom, because you have a bunch, mm-hmm. um, yeah. oh, and yeah. I I just have one, and I believe we may have even uh, given Stephen a shout out before, but I wanted mm-hmm. to uh, Stephen Jackson, um, who. Always will follow up with a couple quick emails just uh, to throw some ideas at us or things that we talked about he might mention, um, and he did throw out the suggestion for the New York Times paywall that Chrome does have an incognito mode that will allow you to circumvent the paywall sometimes for New York Times articles or other ones. So just wanted to say thank you for throwing that out there and helping, helping our listeners, especially when we choose an article with a paywall, which we, we tend to do about once a month, so... I appreciate that. Tom, who do you have?
2: Oh, I have, uh, like you said, quite a few. Um, I'm going to start out with uh, Jenny Bird 89 who I, m- I might have even written a review before, but updated. That was one of the things with our contest. You, We do it randomly. I take all yep. these things, and I just kind of – we pick one randomly. But uh, sometimes uh, one of the strategies is you can kind of boost yourself up to the front of the list because uh, – maybe you don't like that, you're all the way back in like the, the archives of reviews here, yes. you want to have a fresh review. So I think uh, some people have done that, but Jenny bird 89 wrote uh, that she is liking the podcast and learned something new with each episode, which is great to hear because yes. we want to make sure we have fresh information um, that's easy to follow along with and, and interesting to people. Yes. Uh, Kate, Sarah, uh, she's been, and I'm assuming that again, that's a she, with Kate and Sarah, and I, I would assume, but, or it could
1: be someone's two daughters. Could be, yeah, I, I don't know why I do that. It just comes out that
0: way. I am just, just
2: I'm just playing yeah. devil's advocate on that one. But um, uh, they've been doing this for a lot longer than we have. Uh, not podcasting, but in environmental education. So, um, kudos to you for for doing this for such a long time. And then oh, uh, the one I ragged on a little bit earlier, L L L LMMMM222 uh is converting their lawn to the native plants and their gardens to the native plants so they're they're practicing what we preach so yeah no they were three fantastic reviews and we we can't
1: thank you enough and that goes a long way to helping us rank higher in in the Apple podcast charts and in other charts so we really appreciate you taking the time to leave a five star review and letting us know how you how you feel about the show so we we appreciate that so thank you so much and uh you're entered in the contest now so mm-hmm. uh we still have about another month for for other five-star reviews so if you haven't tom will give you a shout out on the next buzz so um we do have we do have a question this week
2: i want to ask you a bunch of questions and i want to have them answered immediately
0: it's a simple question um no i didn't hear you what was your question
1: So it's a, it's a little bit of a longer uh, question. So I'm just going to hop right into it.
0: Hey, Fran. Hey, Tom, this is Dan. I'm calling from uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, and I work for a landscaping company that specializes in native plants and more sort of ecological landscaping projects. So a lot of rain gardens, um, Meadow installations, riparian buffers, and you know of course, a lot of like garden beds and such um, but we've planted out you know I've only been working there briefly, but over the years, the company has planted out dozens of projects all through the central Pennsylvania area, particularly in Lancaster, but you know. We've already planted out so many of these perennial flowers and really really great native plants um, and a lot of the work we do is also just maintenance going back weeding you know sending plants out trying to kind of manage the succession happening and including new plants that volunteer and you know kind of trying to steer the ship but The thing we we always think about is the fact that, you know, we have so much plant material out there and we could be collecting so many seeds and dividing so many of these perennial flowers. Like, you know, we have this great interest in starting to propagate our own plants, not as a whole, you know, full scale what you guys are doing at Pinelands, but more of a, you know, Can we easily grow some of these plants? Can we easily collect some of these seeds or rhizomes or, you know, divisions from so many of these great perennials? Um, So my question really, I guess, is do you have any suggestions about sort of the best plants to start collecting seeds from or propagating in general, you know, be it cuttings or, divisions of perennials um like you know we're, we're planting rudbeckia monarda milkweeds um a lot of wetland plants a lot a really wide range of things that do well in all these gardens and we kind of want to see some more of them and be able to supply some of our own inventory or even just have a little bit more flexibility around having plants available and getting them into these different projects. So yeah, just looking to get a suggestion here about what plants might be easiest to propagate from all these gardens that we've already planted out and are already maintaining. Um, yeah. Sort of get a glimpse. Is no insider. That was
1: it. We only, I, I guess the uh, service we use only allows a, a three minute three minute window but that was a great question. Um, not an easy one to answer uh, Would you agree Tom because there's so many there's there's so many different strategies and different things that make some harder like for certain seeds there are stratification periods there are uh, the storage uh, can become an issue but I, I think to start, one of the things that you could work on would be live stakes, um, which are plants where you can take cuttings and stick them right in the ground, uh, especially when it's dormant. So things like willows, uh, red twig dogwoods, silky dogwoods, um, elderberry, I believe you could do live stakes, some viburnums you could do live stakes. That would be a really easy one to be, to be able to go in and take some cuttings and, and if you have a project where you can use live stakes to get them rooted and going, I think that would be a, a good one. Um Tom, what do you think about some seeds that are are pretty easy uh, to start or come up early? Like if you were to collect a seed, um, I, I was thinking – he mentioned minarda and rudbeckia, and I'm thinking those two are pretty pretty. Uh, like, are the yeah. two that came to my mind?
2: Those are the two that came to mind. My, my mind too, where uh, rudbeckia and the minardas tend to come up pretty easily from seed. Um, I think some of your anthemums will as well, yeah. but I'm not positive on that, but that's where it gets tricky is because there's everything needs like a little bit of, of specialization. And, um, honestly that's probably why you don't see a lot of people doing it no. because it's, it is so in depth, especially as you expand expand that plant palette. Like, uh, he mentioned the sclepius is too. Well, that, that one's not that difficult, but it needs cold, moist stratification. Yeah. So, if you don't give it that, you're going to have really, really low germination percentages. So, no.
1: and, and I'll give a, a specific asam- example of one I just learned. So, one of the plants that we grow is tussock sedge, which is uh, Carex Stricta. And that is a plant that sometimes the seed will drop when it's still green. And like it didn't really ripen when it drops. And then sometimes you get the germination percentage back and it's like 5%. So, you're thinking, oh, this doesn't work. But If you take that seed when it drops and plant it out, you get fantastic germination. So, Mm -hmm. like if you have a need for it right then and there, (laughs) and you collect it and you can you can plant it, that's great. But otherwise, if you collected it and tried to store it, you're not going to have as good a success. And a lot there's so many items like that where it may be some things may want two summers, two like two colds, two hot. and it, it's hard to say, but typically yeah. Rutabecchia and Monarda are, are two of the easier to, to germinate mm-hmm. if you wanted to start there. But you, you're going to have to do your research. You may have to do yeah. some – it's not as easy as like, hey, I'm just going to take the seed and I'm just going to, when I'm ready, throw it down. Um, yep. Unfortunately, and it doesn't work that way.
2: There's guides that are online, but the other thing that's kind of funny is um, – is, I know our propagator of the nurseries looked at some of the guys that other nurseries have (laughs) like, that's not how to do it at all. That's not going to work. Like it's not going to work as well as the way I do it. So it's, uh, yeah, some of it just comes a personal preference too and trial and error and, and just, And and not saying one way
1: is right or one way. I just had this conversation with a customer this morning that everyone has their own system and you find Mm -hmm. the 10 ways to work within your system. Um, And the reason why you don't grow certain plants sometimes or grow things a certain way because it just doesn't fit into your system. And we've had this talk with a lot of our friendly competitors where they've come to see how we do things and we've gone to see how they do things. And it just, we, Mm -hmm. we can't do what they're doing. They can't do what we're doing. And it's, we just have different systems. And sometimes that's just, how it is and that's why that's why it's good to have competition sometimes <laughs> you mm-hmm. know it's because oh, yeah. not everyone can do everything and in order to be able to supply these things you need enough people like there's not enough native plants on the market there's just not so um, if we keep preaching this the way that we are and and keep trying to grow the circle eventually you're going to need more people to do it more people to specialize in it so um, I think it's a great thought and, and, and I like the way you're thinking that that hey there's this resource here that we could be using a lot of times though that seed is helping bulk up the project that you already have accomplished too like that seed's going to fall if if they're cutting it back or the maintenance you're letting it stay all winter and that's the the future of that site as well because so many of these things come in and, and fade out really quickly too so it's Um, but that should give you at least a couple items that you could work with and start with. And if you can add one or two items every year, uh, just doing a little research and finding out how to store the seed and how to germinate, I think that's, that may be the way to go. But it's, i like that you're thinking that way. I like that you're trying to incorporate it and we appreciate you asking the question. So what definitely. you, don't have a grow read a book this week, do you, or did you just not incorporate it?
2: It's, it's on my, my separate notes. Oh, okay. All right. Hold on. Then let me give you
1: an intro. Grow read a book. I
2: like
1: books. All right. What do you what do you I remember you were saying you were close to two books before, so
2: I just Yeah, so uh so last buzz I did um the what's it uh not children in nature. It was uh outdoor kids in the inside world. Yes. And but at the time I'd actually I was ten pages away from finishing that book and uh, i in the meantime finished an audiobook of John Muir's Travels in Alaska. Okay. So I wanted to just give a short little review on that. Cause it's not an, really that long of a book. It didn't take that long to listen to. Um, but you can see why he was one of the, the forefathers of the conservation movement. Cause he just had a way with words and, um, and similar to uh, Henry David Thoreau kind of wanted to live in a way or test his mettle, I guess, in a way where he was living with the land. I don't want to say off the land, but with the land, um, in minimalist kind of lifestyle at times. So, but he took a couple of journeys up to Alaska and that Alaska, I don't want to say it wasn't civilized, but there was civilization there, um, between, um, European slash American settlements and then, um, and then native settlements as well. But, uh, just some of the ways he would write about the scenery were really captivating. And he could really put you there, um, especially having been to Alaska before. So I could could just kind of like, those words, it could just strike up the image of what that looked like to me. Um, But the book is basically a really three separate books in a way, where it's like three separate journeys to Alaska. Okay. um, That he took over a period, I think like 30 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it doesn't really have an end per se. It just kind of, the, the last journey's over and just kind of ended, <laughs> but, um, but he describes just like the, the fjords, the mountains, like all this stuff traveling by canoe and, and the trials and tribulations that came with that, um, of Southeastern Alaska, uh, really describes how beautiful that natural world is and then describes the people, both the native people and the foreign people who's, who've settled there and some of the interactions they have and um, some of the uh, different like uh, words that they'll use to describe each other. Some of the racism that was there, you can kind of get the undertones of that. Um, but if it's, you're just looking for something that's fairly easy to read, can kind of transport you someplace and uh, has some adventure, has some, a, lo- a lot of writing about nature and, and how magnificent nature is—it's a, a pretty good read. So, you know, yeah, one, it's, you could kind of, having not read anything by Muir before, I could kind of, I could really understand. Oh, this is why this person was so impactful in this conservation movement. You know, one of the things that I'm I'm starting
1: to appreciate more and more um, as we do this is, you, and it, it hit me. Tom and I are preparing a, a talk for. Some of the organizations we're speaking for this fall, and we started putting together. You know, it's kind of like lessons learned. What What have we learned from all of our guests along this journey? And uh, one of the one of the ones uh, was you have to enjoy it. You, you have to make sure that you enjoy it. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah, obviously, there's a lot of impactful reasons why we're doing it. We're doing it for the health of the ecosystem and for everything that's a part of it. But you have to remember to. Have that sense of awe and interact with it. Uh, you know, uh, Perry uh, from Glacier Glacier National Park uh, talked about making sure how important human interaction is. And and um, uh, Doctor Stan Temple talked about like his interactions and Rachel Carson teaching him to have a sense of awe about nature, not just counting it and labeling it you know and i think that's what is so inspiring about some of these stories because it is that interaction and what you've learned and how you feel and it's an important aspect that we don't always we get mired down in the science of it sometimes but that's just as important as the rest of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: sorry did i get too philosophical there no not at all yeah. but it's i i i love that inspiration and i love mm-hmm. that that you incorporated that type of reading into your
2: yeah, definitely. Awesome. So I figured I had to, at some point I was like, man, I'm, we talk about this, this guy every once in a while. And, uh, and champion him as being one of the, like I said, the, the fathers of conservation in the U S along with Teddy Roosevelt and, um, uh, what's a different pin show yeah. and uh, a handful of other names. But, um, I that was another thing. I'd, it's uh, grow, read a book, but I did watch a really cool documentary two part documentary it was on a history channel about, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. That was just it. Didn't get into the the conservation aspect of his life as much, but it really got into his rise to the presidency, and um, and then basically he became like a, a power hound and just didn't want to give up power. <laughs> He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready to retire," and then realized, "No, I'm not ready to retire," and wanted to become president again. Uh, I don't remember learning that in in history class in high school. Well, but, I um, I didn't yeah.
1: watch that, but I did watch the drunk history on Teddy Roosevelt and <laughs> and creating the National Park System. So for mm-hmm. for anyone that is interested in that that's a that's yeah. I don't
2: yeah. know how yeah, was, uh, historically accurate that is, but it's pretty good. Even just from that that uh that documentary, it was like you could tell he was a, like a tough SOB. Yeah. that He he definitely put himself to the test and he didn't just he was one of those characters who didn't just want to talk about it, or or he wanted to do something as well. And uh, so that's something I'd recommend giving a watch to if you're interested in in history, especially Teddy Roosevelt. So awesome, um, friend. We have a very brief topic today. You know,
1: and, I uh, I, appre- I see what you put in. I appreciate it. You know, and I'm I'm not saying that I overlooked it. I'm just saying, like, I knew it it's existing, but we're still so crazy busy that sometimes. <laughs> Like, you don't take a second to just acknowledge it. So I I appreciate Mm -hmm. the topic
2: that you picked, and I'll let you go into it. Yeah, and that is uh, that it's pollinator week. Yeah. And uh, last week or last year, we had our little pollinator uh, powwow, uh, I guess I'll call it, with uh, Kelly Gill and Marcus Gray and Sam Sam Drogi, And that was awesome. It was awesome. Um, And uh, this is a little bit more subdued of a (laughs) – well, definitely more subdued version of – What like with Pollinator Week and celebrating Pollinator Week, but we want to give some suggestions on what you can do for for Pollinator Week um, to kind of celebrate in your own way and and get involved in your own way. Because it's one thing that like, and we appreciate like we see fantastic
1: uh, posts on social media and everyone collaborating and sharing, and that's wonderful. But there's there's some other ways you can just be a little more hands mm -hmm. hands on with it.
2: Yeah, so. The number one way that you can celebrate Pollinator Week, if you're in my shoes, in my my opinion, is the plants and native plants, and uh, that's a way to kind of just say, it, maybe even start a tradition where every Pollinator Week we're going to plant one native plant. Just kind of signify the, the week and make it something special in your in your life and your family's life, that kind of thing. So I'm
1: I'm actually going to do that this week. We yeah. we've decided to remove a hybrid rose from our garden. Mm-hmm. And replace it with a Carolina rose. Awesome, oh, rose. yeah. I mean, we thought that would be a great way to kind of still have what was there, but celebrate it in a
2: more nat- native way. Yeah. Um, another thing that I thought of was uh, was having a family or, or friends, depending on your your circumstances, but having like your own little bio blitz. Just to, like go out Saturday, Sunday, do a little bio blitz, and you could do this whenever, but do it for pollinator week and just kind of see, Hey, what's, I have this couple native plants in my yard or I have a big native plant garden. What's actually coming here. Cause that's what we're doing it for yeah. and just take a bunch of pictures and start going through iNaturalist, start going through uh, ID books or, or going through Google and trying to figure out what do we actually have showing up to your flowers? What's, what is going into your, your pensamins or, or visiting your echinacea or those kind of things. Cause a lot of the bumblebees look the same but when you actually can take that still shot especially if you get a good picture which a lot of the phones can do now um you can see these little like micro differences between them and uh even like an amateur can kind of discern slight differences and in, in maybe id uh one from the other. now some of them there's no way you're going to be able to tell them apart but um you'll be able to tell a metallic green bee from from a bumblebee for sure so yeah, take, do a little bioblitz and just see what's happening in your own yard. Awesome idea. Awesome idea. What else you got?
1: I'm going to let you yes. go through it because I'm looking through and I don't know what some of these are.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. So um, there's you can help the uh, USGS uh, B Inventory Management Lab with Sam Drogi. Um, I know they just put out a call. Every once in a while they'll put out calls for, for not volunteers but for help in certain areas where they say hey we're really interested in what's going on in the northeast this summer and so take pictures of what's going on in in your flower bed kind of like you would with the bible and send them to us and then they'll go through and kind of identify some stuff but every once in a while they'll, they'll put out calls and sometimes you need they, they're looking for people who are a little bit more uh entomologically sound um but sometimes they just they need numbers they need to I think there was something in New Mexico long, not that long ago where they're like, hey, if you're in New Mexico and you can take pictures of bees, send them to us because we're looking for this type of bee. We want to see if it's present in New Mexico or not. So they'll do the ID aspect of it. They just need – they're not in New Mexico. They need someone to send them the pictures. So awesome. um, that's something to keep in tune with. I may um, grab my camera when I get
1: home and sit out yeah. back and see what I can come up with today. Yeah.
2: Uh, another thing you can do is as, or volunteer as a pollinator watcher. And I know Mount Cuba does this for a lot of their studies. What, what a great suggestion. I'm but, glad you brought um, this up. And, uh, and I, there might be a wait list at some of these places, but I know there's other places that do this as well, where they're doing some research and they want to see, hey, what kind of pollinators come to visit or how many pollinators are come to visit. And you just got to sit there for. So um, you just got to sit there for a, a minute or two and, um, or a couple minutes and, uh, and count different bees so awesome. i got no problem <laughs> i'm gonna hold, i'm gonna i'm gonna second. keep going in
1: um so right. <laughs> um you can uh another thing that you can do is you can give feedback about butterfly counts in your yard so uh we keep talking about butterflies and i know this is something last year on our pollinator extravaganza um marcus gray mentioned how many uh species of butterfly he's counted in his yard in the past and this year and and what the counts are so uh, I know this year, black swallowtail for us has been, uh, has been huge. And I know that's part in part due to the the native plants that, that we planted uh, that weren't there before, because we really didn't have a good population before. And we've had a ton of, of uh, swallowtail caterpillars this year. So that is uh, one thing you can do and share that. And when we had Joan Brandwine on, and she uh, was talking about her yard, and she catalog- catalogs all the insects in her yard, she created a, a specific list on iNaturalist uh, for all the things that she found in your yard. And you can give that same feedback with with butterflies in your own yard. See, Tom, you only missed one. You only missed one of the items. So, and uh, one of the last things that that Tom had on his list, which we we love this idea and we talk about this all the time, or are organizations that you can make a donation with or volunteer with. Uh, the Xerces uh, Society, Pollinator Partnership, Sustainable Monarch, uh, the Monarch Joint Venture, North American Butterfly Association, Monarch Watch, and Pollinator Pathway. There's all these fantastic organizations that are doing this work, and they could use your support as well. You can volunteer or, or you can donate some of your, your money, and uh, they can continue doing the fantastic work xerxes here locally they are uh over uh this week and next week uh they are it's not really a grant but they're giving away i think 50 or 60 pollinator kits uh to organizations that have a need uh where they have a place to plant these plants and they have a way to monitor and make sure they're alive and they're giving signs and plants and it's it's enough for a large pollinator meadow or or garden so um that's one of the things you can always check about. You don't always see these things or hear these things, but if you're checking in with these organizations, you can find out about great um, great opportunities. I know uh, one of our listeners, Skip Burns, he helped uh one of the local park systems get their pollinator kit from Jersey. So it's it's been a wonderful journey and this is another way you can be a part of it.
2: And you're you're muted, Tom. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that, friend. <laughs> <laughs> the trials and tribulations of doing this not in the same place.
1: Um, it, it, you know what? I, I don't know if you feel it, but what a different vibe to me.
2: Oh, it's yeah, weird yeah. that
1: we're not sitting in the same room. Yeah. It really but, is. Uh,
2: and I, I can let everyone know why the phone kept, uh, kept ringing. And um, it's so we, we had uh, our phone company was hooking up our, our fiber optic internet up here. We upgraded from DSL after. <laughs> After After how long long. you had satellite, um, it was satellite, right? It was satellite a long time ago. Then it, then it went to DSL. And uh, then when the guy last time or probably was here a year ago and the, uh, I got up here, the internet didn't work. The phone lines didn't work. So I had to drive, there's no cell service here. Like I mentioned, I had to drive 20 minutes away to get cell service and call the, um, the phone company and say, Hey, just just so you know, like we don't have this up there. So they sent someone out right away and he took care of it. But he's like, Oh, they just brought fiber optic in your area. So now here we are a year later, actually getting it hooked nice. up. But, nice. uh, the technician left his drill here. So he's calling me. Uh, it, was, it was here. Yeah. And then eventually I, he came back up and got it. But so <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what was going on. Nice. But, uh, yeah.
1: So, so we're down to take it or leave it. And yeah, I'm, I, I really couldn't think of anything this week, but and I know if you reading what I wrote, you're like, "Why is Fran mentioning this?" And there's oh yeah, there's I was, there's a reason, and I wanted to, and I I left it that way because I'm like, Tom's gonna wonder if I'm crazy. Oh,
2: so, I definitely did. I yeah. looked at it. I'm like, I don't know. Fran is Where really we scraping the bottom of the no. Back. And this is just to keep this segment alive. If this is what we're talking about, no, and well.
1: and this is why. and I'll I'll explain. So I I literally just put two words i put space exploration now what does that have to do with native plants now the reason why i brought that up was because as we drain our resources on this planet part of the reason for space exploration is like we know over time the earth can't exist you know the sun will get larger Mm -hmm. and we will have to move but they're they're looking to see if life is possible on another planet and obviously we spend a lot of money to do that Would it be wiser to invest that money in saving our planet now and fixing the problems that we have with the resources that we've expended or the things that we have destroyed? Would it be safer to use that money that way rather than look elsewhere for another planet to
2: inhabit? Okay, I see what what you're going with there. Um, Oh, gosh. (sighs) I... i i'm not qualified to answer this question <laughs> you know it's because it's, it's interesting
1: if, if you think of the amount of times that the rockets the trips to the moon the resources that mm-hmm. the, the minds that it took to create that yeah if that if those resources were better suited in fixing natural resource issues that we have here on the planet to make life better here for everyone else that's a, yeah, that's a it's, tough one to, to think about
2: yeah, especially because I don't know what the disparity is already like how much are we actually investing in in making sure that earth is a viable option and, um, and we're just talking about what the us
1: uh, yeah I, I'm I'm googling real real fast us space exploration budget uh, you know and as we put things on Mars, um, you know and and just with the cost of everything nowadays, I would imagine uh let's see at NASA, the budget would enable missions and around the moon through Artemis while preparing for Mars exploration, the budget provides just part of the budget is seven point six billion for deep space exploration. Mm-hmm. That's just part of the budget. yeah, now, I don't know what the budget is for natural
2: resources but I don't know. Oh, it's got, I would imagine it's way more than that. You think so? Well, the infrastructure bill is only going to be a part of, uh, there is, I'm assuming there's no actual, just like budget for natural resources. That's like straight out. This is what we're, but you figure the infrastructure bill is $1.7 billion. And a lot of that is going towards like climate and, and like nature resiliency stuff. Okay. All right. Like hundreds of millions of dollars just from that bill that's are true. going to that. So then you have what's it? Restore America's Wildlife Act is just passed the House. I'm pretty sure, and that's hundreds of millions of dollars again. Um,
1: well, maybe I'm that, maybe I'm speaking out yeah. of turn.
2: I was just assuming that we spent more. Yeah. No, I I would think we spend a lot, but I was that's where I was like I don't really know. But now seeing that a seven some billion I'm like oh yeah but, we definitely spend a lot more but that was just for one here one
1: aspect of yeah th- that was yeah. just space exploration that's not all the other things that that NASA does
2: yeah okay so yeah I, I I'm gonna go back to that um <laughs> there's like a a taco ad from back in the day where you have the girl or the people arguing over like soft shell or hard shell tacos i think and then the little girl's like why not both that's kind of my take on it. Is yeah, you know, why, why not both but uh no we had an interest someone put up an article something about this how they're bringing and trying to grow plants on the moon um or was something they were gonna they were trialing on earth first and then they were gonna do it there and um then someone's like, well, they're definitely not native plants. And I think my comment was like native plants, healthy moon. And <laughs> <the question
0: mark.
2: laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I think, I don't know. It depends on how pessimistic you want to be. It's, yeah, I'm not trying to be we pessimistic. Actually, we have to put some eggs in them? Maybe not the whole dozen, but maybe you put three eggs in that basket and the, the rest here?
1: I, I don't know. I think it, it's not going to affect us or our children, but somewhere no. down the, the line, the human race depends on us. Probably inhabiting another mm-hmm. another country uh, or another I could planet. See it I'm affecting
2: sorry. my children.
1: You think my so? child? Yeah, I could
2: I could see that. Um, you know,
1: obviously it's going to change. I don't know how many generations, but we're probably talking yeah. millions of years before the Earth becomes inhabitable, uninhabitable.
2: Well, you look at something like the climate change perspectives, and they're saying it's, like by twenty you're you're true. losing all this land mass and then by 2100 it's even less so 2100 is out of my lifespan but it's definitely in my son's potential lifespan yeah Yeah. so he would be an old man but uh so yeah i could see it not and i guess it wouldn't be uninhabitable it would be uninhabitable for nearly eight billion people yeah it would be maybe half well I i don't even know what number it would be I'm shooting off the cuff here, and, but and, you
1: know, I know this is going in all different directions now. But there's going to be some. All right, say the coasts of uh, the east and west coast, uh, x many miles is uninhabitable from mm-hmm. sea level rise. Uh, but with climate change, how much, how many areas that were uninhabitable, be, uninhabitable because of freezing temperatures, are now you're able to have, uh, you're able to live in. Because it's more manageable. Like you think of upper areas mm-hmm. of like Serbia or Canada. That over time they're going to become. No, I know it's going to It's it's going to change. Yeah, I think it's just it just
2: it more rapidly changes yeah, the rest of the, the yeah. world.
1: And so, I, listen, I'm no expert. I'm just speaking from what little I know, and I could be there. There could be someone out there going, "Please, just Fran, just shut up. You don't know what you're talking about," and yeah, that's fine. That's, you know that what? Yeah, is
2: something we're we're pondering over something that we have no idea. Yes, about. I'm just kind
1: of. <laughs> No, sorry that you had to listen to the yeah. conversation in my head. This
2: would have been a better, yeah, better conversation over a drink or two.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> Something but, like that. Oh,
1: that's an idea yeah. for a podcast, an evening, yeah. <laughs> like a dinner with Tom and Fran, and what those discussions, oh, my God, I can't yeah. even imagine. Well, that,
2: this is – I'm going to give a good call to action here and say for the listeners in the Facebook group, hey, maybe kick around this idea, and I want to see what your thoughts are. This is – uh this is an interesting concept that that makes us think on a broader level. And, um, it's, it's easy to be optimistic and say, Oh no, we need to, and it's easy to be pessimistic and say, get me to Mars as fast as I can. Yeah. But I think realistically we're somewhere in the middle where for our species, it's, it's an option we may have to look at. It's an option we might not deserve because a lot of this seems like it's our own doing, but, um, if if Homo sapiens are going to stay alive, that's they're going to have to, to a to potential do that. Uh, option that I think needs to be explored.
1: It's one thing so. to
2: move one
1: planet over, you know, but ob- obviously that's not going to be enough either. That just buys yeah. you a little bit of time. So mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know what the answer is for that. Now I'm not going to figure mm-hmm. that one out. Not even no.
2: close to it. But I think that pretty much wraps us up. Yeah, so that's gonna that is gonna wrap us up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery.
1: Thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz Theme Music. I don't know where we'd be without it. Uh, make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Follow us on Twitter sure. at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget we have the question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. Ask a question and leave a comment uh, just like Dan did, uh, if – not if, when we play your uh, question or comment on a future episode of The Buzz. We will answer it to the best of our ability. And uh, don't forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Big shout-out to Alyssa Lewis for, for doing the uh, Pollinator Week Blasts every day, and we appreciate that. Um, and keep it going over there.
2: Yeah, that should have been something on my list too. I didn't even think about that is post your pollinator photos under each day underneath Alyssa Lewis's pollinator which photos a, that she's been doing every day, a which lot is of the, awesome.
1: And people are voting on how many likes. So there's like a winner mm-hmm. every day, which is kind of yeah. nice. I got to break the tie on one the other day. Ah, so, nice. Yeah,
2: I got to be the judge. So, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy plant t-shirts directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. There's a banner right at the top that'll take you to our Teespring store. And, um, then we, again, we don't take any of the money uh, for ourselves. It all goes to uh, organizations that we feel are promoting the right message or uh, have the right mission and are doing this themselves. They are actually working to make the world a better place. Um, we just chose Bowman's Hill as our most recent uh, recipient. And, uh, and we're and,
1: extending that out.
2: So if you want to yeah. support Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve,
1: you still have the opportunity to buy a shirt and have the mm-hmm. proceeds go to them
2: and yeah. help their mission. So, yeah, so you can look stylish and support Bowman's Hill at this very moment. So, yes. um, let's see where I was. I so you can also listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast at uh on at our website, or really you're going to listen on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever consume your podcast um, when you're there. If at all possible, leave a five star review. If you give a little write up with that five star review, and I <laughs> want it to come from the heart, not just the uh, not just a uh, you're taking pity on us. <laughs> write something from the heart, and uh, and I'll give you a shout out on one of our episodes and you'll be entered for our, our pollinator plant flat giveaway. So awesome. Awesome. Do you have a secret this week? I do. It's not necessarily a secret about myself. It's something I just learned that I figured I want to pass on. Sure. Um, Because it's, it's one of those things. Once I learned, I, I get annoyed every time someone says the opposite. I shouldn't say annoyed, but I'm like, Oh, look at this person that doesn't know that polar bears don't live in antarctica they think that polar bears and penguins live together yeah and i hope no one is like oh i I thought that
0: But
2: (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah so polar bears are a north pole centric species okay um and then uh penguins live more towards well antarctica and in the southern hemisphere mostly but um and I didn't, I learned this on another podcast, the Meteor Trivia podcast that they do on Wednesdays. Uh, but Antarctica means no bears. So that's a nice little way to remember. Oh,
1: I did not know no that. No bears
2: on, now it's not named that because there aren't polar bears there. It's named that because actually you have the Arctic is uh, named after the Greek word, uh, what is it? Arctos? yeah articos okay which means of the bear all right and uh it's referencing that from in the northern hemisphere that's where you can see ursa major and ursa minor the the well in the north star so in the southern hemisphere especially antarctica you can't see that so antarctica basically means no bears meaning you can't see the 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 constellations So, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, fascinating. That's now, one of those things I'm like – but it is, so now you can – for if you wanted to use it from a polar bear concept, con, context like I just did, you can say, yeah, Antarctica means no bears. Then that's why there's no bears. That will be one of those things tonight while I'm laying
1: in bed and I'm telling Agatha and she's like, do I really have to learn about this now when I'm trying to go to sleep? Because <laughs> I'd be like, no, I learned something really cool today. I got to share. <laughs> I'll have yeah. to try to remember at the dinner table. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate so, you sharing yeah. that with us.
2: Yeah, so yeah, it basically, it, and I guess I should say Antarctica doesn't mean no bears. It means opposite of the Arctic, anth, meaning like anti, opposite of the Arctic, but Arctic means bears, so no bears. That is awesome. Yeah, cool. Thank
1: you for sharing. That's awesome. Very cool. All right, so with that, I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up, we have a guest, but we don't know who yet. We're still working on that, but – uh you'll you'll find out (laughs) you'll find out as long as as well as we will next week so make sure you tune in again next time and until then keep it native
0: thank you for listening to the native plants healthy planted podcast presented by pinelands nursery Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.